Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on Apple Podcasts. Hello, this is Dumpty Dum, a podcast about the archers and the goings on of Ambridge. I am Jacqueline Berto, who would choose Neil over a billionaire any day. I'm Stephen Bowden who is excited about running the quiz tonight. <laughs> and then there's you, our lovely Dumpty Dummers, who have found out that parkour isn't as easy as it looks. Welcome to Dumpty Dum, a show about our favourite country village. This week's episodes of The Archers were written by Katie Hims, and it has been quite a dramatic week. Coming up, we have calls from... Roz, who has been thinking about Harrison's dilemma. Dusty Substances, who is getting irritable about... well... All the current storylines. Witherspoon, who's comparing Harry with how Alice used to be. Jade, a first-time caller in a hooray! Hooray! Who has a question about relations. Tracy, who has questions about parkour at the pub. Michelle, who wants to revel in the joy that is Jim. Glyn, who thinks Jazza has a career as an influencer. Jen from Brooklyn, who questions the threat to Harrison's job. Paul in Olney who is interested in what is going on with Alastair and Denise and Jim and Jazza. Marie, who has further thoughts on Alice and Harry. And finally, Jenna, another first-time caller in her. Hooray! Hooray! Who thinks that Jazza got it just right. We also have emails from Brian and from our regular correspondent, Chris in Indiana. Plus, we have The Week in Ambridge by Sui, a roundup of the Dumpty Dum Facebook group from Vicky and the tweets of the week from Theo. But before we start talking too much, let's remind ourselves of what happened over the last seven days with a roundup of the week in Ambridge from our Sui. Hello, lovely people. It's Sui here, Queen or Tart on the Twitters, and it's time for a quick reminder of what happened this week in Ambridge. We spent much of the week at the ball, and there was a case of mistaken identity of Tracy by Jolene. I'd have most likely mistaken him myself at 7.30 on a Sunday morning. There was much angst from Harrison about whether he was going to lose his job because of what he had said. This looked less likely at the beginning of the week, then Alice made everything much work by talking to Mom, 
Harrison's boss, which got her struck off Fallon Harrison's Christmas card list. There's to be an investigation. Also on the naughty step this week is Justin, who was interrogated by Neil and Jimmis after the helicopter ride that Neil and Susan went on, part of her birthday list. The EV charging station has ended up with a 200-year-old oak tree being chopped down to make the entranceway. Should have got a TPO in place before that could have happened. Jimmers was splendid this week. He always is. From his mission to buy wine gums and talking Alice down off the parapet by telling her she was doing a good job bringing up Martha, she has chucked that wrong and Harry, but kept the fancy expensive perfume he brought her. It should shift some of his aura from about the place and hopefully and calm down Kate. Jazza meant well by scaring everyone from going to the pub quiz. Kenton was back in the quizmaster's seat, so Alistair, Denise and Jimmers made a stellar team. Sadly, it was an easy victory because of the lack of opponents. Jazza wanted to make up for his scare tactics and therefore advertised in social media parkour in the pub, which Jim gave the most brilliant explanation of. Well, actually, it was in the pub car park, scene of the potential dogfight. It didn't go ahead as Jazza was incapacitated for medical reasons and only managed to make a speech which would have been incomprehensible to normal folks, but was trying to apologise for Alistair to not supporting him in his bid to woo Denise. Ugh. I can hardly wait for next week. Hope it's good and everybody. Thank you for that, Sui, as good as ever. So, how are you feeling today, Stephen? Because you haven't been on, you've been a bit under the weather, haven't you? I have been a bit under the weather. My voice, I hope, is in better shape than it was last week. Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, luckily, with all the calls we've got today, we won't have to talk quite as much as we have done <laughs> some weeks. Indeed. And the other thing I'm feeling is uh, very impressed by Dune 2, which I went to see yesterday afternoon. The really? second half of Dune. The, yeah. Uh, I really loved the first half, which was just massive world building and these enormous machines and spaceships and fantastic music by Hans Zimmer. And because you've learned what the world is like in episode one, there's more room in episode two for people and plot and so forth. It's a really, they're a brilliant combination. I'd love to see them back to back in, in an IMAX cinema, but just in a regular cinema, it was great. Uh, that's brilliant. I've never seen uh, the films, uh, but I've read the book many, many, many years ago. Uh, presumably you've read the book as well, being you. Yes, when I was young. I haven't actually gone yeah. back and read it. I know some people do. I don't tend to read old science fiction because it does tend to date a bit. Date. I think, yeah. I think Dune probably dates less than, has dated less than, than many. But anyway, yeah. how are you feeling? I'm feeling a lot better than I was, but this is still week three of this chest infection. And I think what amazes me is how come we managed over the uh, wires, as it were, from Sanguine to wherever it is you live. I can never remember. Cheltenham. Cheltenham, that's right. It's not Colchester. I knew it wasn't Colchester, but I could never remember the name. How do we manage to spread germs like that? It's amazing. Powers of Dumpty Dummy. Absolutely. I think that's more than enough about us. Let's get on to the important bit, which is you, our lovely Colorinners. Hello, Pusscat. And first up, we have Roz. Hi, Stephen and Jackie and Dumpty Dum folk. This is Roz in South Wales. I've just been listening to Friday's episode. I'm probably a bit late to comment on it, but I'm very struck by the moral dilemmas of the current storylines. Poor Jolene is being pressurised 
by a nasty gang. Does she prioritise the safety of her own family or the good of the community? I really don't know the answer. Meanwhile, Harrison's dilemma reminded me of decades ago when my cousin's husband was a village policeman. Their house was the village police station and people used to turn up and sit at her kitchen table while waiting to talk to her husband. It's never struck me before how many things he must have known about the local people living in the village and in the surrounding farms and how little he could actually say to anyone about it. So I do sympathise with Harrison's moral and ethical dilemmas. The scriptwriters have his telling Fallon and then Alice about it, but I wonder how much other local knowledge he has had to keep confidential. I wonder whether the ongoing story will be as, as much to explore his dilemmas as Alice's. That's it. Bye for now. Thank you very much for that call, Roz. The dilemma of the village, Bobby, is a really critical thing. And I think it's probably one of the reasons why we just don't have them anymore. Back in the 90s, I used to live in a village not very far from where Ambridge must be. And there was a police house there, and it was occupied by the last village policeman. So he would have retired, I think, in the early 80s. He was getting on a bit by then. And I, I think most police houses have gone. Of course, the one in Ambridge is actually burnt down and been replaced by Greenacres. It must be very difficult for a village Bobby to have all that knowledge about people yeah. and to try and keep to it. And I think because what we expect from the police has changed over the years, and we'll probably talk a bit more about Harrison's situation, but this particular aspect of it, I think it's getting even harder now than it was back then to meet all the standards, particularly the data protection standards. So yeah, it's a very, very difficult position. And Harrison isn't a village, Bobby. He polices in Borchester while living in Ambridge. But given the nature of the archers, that doesn't stop these things cutting across. Well, I love that call, Roz. Thank you very much for that. I love the story of the village, Bobby. And it reminded me of the fact that Although I come from a major industrial port and I was born and brought up there, we had a couple of village bobbies, basically, and we knew them. They walked the beat and they came into school occasionally. And as the town grew in the 70s with the arrival of more oil refineries, etc., obviously the, the policing system changed. But certainly in my young days, the village bobby was someone who dropped in for a cup of tea with my dad or chatted with my granddad over the allotment. And uh, they must have known so much about uh, what was going on. And I remember one of my uncles having his ear twisted a bit because one of his sons was not being particularly well behaved in the evenings with his mate. And that was how village policing was done. But as you say, things have changed completely now. Like we've lost Harrison from the village. We've got different rules about data protection, etc. So interesting story. And in fact, Roz's call, I think, came in just last Saturday when we were in the middle of recording. So in fact, we've seen that story very much move on from there, but it was still great to have your call, Roz. Next up is Dusty Substances. Hello, it's Dusty Substances here, the wrong sort of listener. This week's catch-up has been via the omnibus, because as you can probably gather from this rather snotty delivery, I wasn't well enough to go to church, so I had to listen instead. Even following my gap, it's business as usual. I'm getting irritable about, I think, all the storylines that were presented to us this week. The marquee stuff is preposterous. I mean, it's melodramatic and it makes no sense. Why is it there? Get rid of it. Don't like it. The cowhides. Oh, now I don't want to go into a cafe that's 
covered in cowhides. Why would you do that? And I'm not even a vegetarian, really. That's ridiculous. You wouldn't do it. As for the Harry storyline, Juliet Aubrey is too classier actress to have just been brought in for a couple of episodes. I think we're going to hear more of Harry's mum. And if I was Alice, I would have her phone number because of the aborted shopping trip. And I would ring her up because I would start wanting to put two and two together here. So that would be my next step. So that's my prediction. Alice will ring Harry's mum and it will all blow up from there with any luck. So uh, let's look forward to that then. Anyway, love to everybody and hopefully I'll be less snotty when I ring in next time. Bye. Thanks for that call, Dusty. And yes, I hope you're recovering from that. As you can hear from Stephen and I and our voices, it takes time at this time of year, apparently. Now, those stories that you mentioned, Marky, I personally think it's a, it is melodramatic, but it's a slow burn. And that's what we do well on the Archers. Uh, so I'm not too irritated by that one. Cowhides, well, I made my feelings very, very clear about that last week, so I'm not going to go there. Now, what you suggest that Alice would have Eve's phone number, yeah, that's true, but that would take real balls to call it, call her up and talk about Harry and the situation. I don't think Alice, I wouldn't be able to do it. I would just definitely not be able to do that. So, yeah, maybe, well, I think that just goes to prove that Dusty's much more ballsy than me, which is. I think we all do anyway. I agree with Dusty that Juliet Aubrey is an excellent actor and it's quite surprising if that's all we've heard of her. It was a bit like in a recent episode of Death in Paradise when the big name billing was Hayley Mills. Yeah. And she was killed off in the first... Four minutes. First four minutes. But that's the kind of joy of cameo roles, isn't it? I think maybe you're offered a quick cameo. It gets you back in the... Headlines, if we can think that being in the Archers creates headlines, it gets you known, gets you out in the world and also adds on to everything else you're doing in the rest of your professional life. So maybe that's what it was. Maybe that or I imagine that this actor is hanging around the studio in Birmingham for some or other reason and the the program makers see them and say, oh, got a part for you. Just come in, do a couple of episodes and... Yeah, because when we were at the studios uh, in Birmingham last year before the Academic Archers uh, Conference, it's all very open, isn't it? Everybody goes in through the same entrance. We actually met in at the bottom of a very sweeping staircase and then went into a little area and the, uh, the studios were all around, including the Archers studio. So, yeah, it is a very, I think it's a much, a very good opportunity for people who are known to get a voice on the Archers, which, well, can only make it better, can't it? And of course, that storyline panned out in a fairly spectacular way without Alice needing to call Eve. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we'll pick up on some of that quite soon. In fact, possibly even with our very next call, which starts like this. Y'all know how this goes. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling, toss salads and scrambled eggs. Greetings, Jacqueline, Stephen, and all Dumpty Demers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. Caller entering following Monday's episode to talk about Harry and Alice from my psychiatric perspective. First, well done, Alice. She had to safeguard her recovery and could not be hanging around someone who was actively abusing alcohol. There would be so many triggers for her. She would either be trying to save Harry or be dragged down with him. If we journey back to when Alice was heavily drinking, 
We recall she shared many behaviors with Karen Harry. Listeners then thought she was a bad person. She was deep in denial, she hid alcohol, and she lied to all her family members. She climbed a tree in a drunken state during a party. She showed up intoxicated to Nick's funeral. And finally, she threw a brick through a window. Remember the arguments with Chris and how Brian had to drag her to treatment? As we talked about then, these behaviors are the symptoms of the illness of alcoholism. But once Alice was in residential treatment, we rooted for her recovery and continued to do so. So, is Harry a bad person? Almost all say yes. He is self-important and entitled, but I can't say what he's like without the layer of alcohol abuse. In the throes of alcoholism, he has done a lot of bad things, including denying, lying, manipulating, and especially drinking and driving. A lot of my judgment about Harry will depend on what happens with Harrison this week. Will he try to report Harrison? Also, will Harry recover? If he does, will the arc of his recovery be as relatively smooth as Alice's? I very much doubt it. But will we care? Will this cease being a story about Harry? Will Harry even stay on the show? Stay tuned and talk to you soon. Thank you for that call, Witherspoon. I've been thinking about Harry and his problems with alcohol. I don't think that he has been under the influence of alcohol most of the time that we've been dealing with him, and certainly when he first turned up at the stables. So to the question of, is Harry a bad person? He probably is, because he's pretty unpleasant. He doesn't treat people very well. And while I was giving him the benefit of the doubt, having now abandoned that position and looking back over him, I'm prepared to believe the worst of him. I, I think that he is a quite an unpleasant person who uses other people who has a massive sense of self-entitlement and is best off gone. I hope we've heard the last film, but it wouldn't surprise me if we haven't quite. Should we move on to our next call? Yeah, great. And this one is from a first-time caller in It's Jade. Hello, Dumpty Dum Land. My name's Jade, and I'm a first-time caller in Thank you so much for the podcast. I have a bit of a dated one because I am catching up from about a year of not listening to The Archers, which is why I found, when I found the podcast, as a way of catching back up. So thank you very much for making it. But my thing is, I'm at the bit where Brad and Mia's romance is blossoming, and it seems like no one mentioned it. Everyone seems completely fine with their romance, and they're very sweet together. But are they not related? I know there's no blood relation, but there's a bit where Brad's talking about going out with his cousin, who's, who is George, and then Mia's talking about George as her brother, and it just all feels a bit... I believe that Mia is Brad's first cousin once removed stepsister. So yeah, no blood relation, but did anyone else find it a bit weird when they got together? Anyway. I know this is very dated now because you're all a lot further ahead than that. So feel free to include this or not. But that's just what I wanted to. I can't wait until I've caught up fully and can actually call in about the current week's stuff. And I haven't been on any of the socials because I don't want any spoilers. Okay, thanks, everyone. Bye. Hello, Jade. Thank you for calling in. A first time caller in a very interesting call because, yes, we don't we didn't necessarily talk about uh, that developing relationship. And it's fantastic to look back occasionally at things when we've moved on. So um, 
very interested in your views on things that we've slipped over in the last year or so. But hurry up and catch up and then you can really call in about what's happening now. Now, living in a small village with cousins of cousins of cousins, I'm not so surprised because also what we call famille recomposée, rebuilt families after remarriages, after death or divorce or whatever, are very, very common in our area. And there are several farms here which are about five families all integrated with one another. And I know that in that case, the son of one and the, the daughter of another They've married, had three children, and I think in the next generation, they there's still no blood connection, but it feels weird. So I don't think the Brad and Mia story has surprised me at all because it's intergenerational and interfamilial, but with steps removed. But interesting point, though, because we didn't think about it at the time, did we? So, yeah, they're not blood relations, but they are close. Yes, and yes, Jay, thank you very much for your call. It's good to have a a fresh voice calling in. Your sums are absolutely right. If we look at George, then yes, Brad and George are first cousins once removed. But it's worth noting that Mia is the daughter of Nick and her first husband. And as you say, that's not a blood relationship. But in some ways, it's not even a family relationship because it wasn't Emma who was the connection with Brad who was involved in that. And Will is now not living with Emma or anything like that. So it didn't have that feel of being cousins even, at least not to me. So I wasn't icked out by it, but I think I'm in the minority of people who really rather like Mia. And I think a lot of people's views on Brad and Mia are colored by a, not so much dislike as irritation about Mia and her evangelical approach to the environment. It's not just her evangelical approach to the environment. I can understand that. But Mia has a way of being disrespectful to people around her. We've had stories of her being a bit nasty with Linda, a bit nasty with other people, and that ridiculous firecracker. We better not say too much because maybe Jade hasn't got that far yet, the firecracker story. Yeah, I I don't think that she's rude or unpleasant so much as so convinced that she's in the right that that tends to take her sailing through and so makes her totally tactless. Yeah, yeah, you're right. The tactlessness is. She's a perhaps a Greta Thunberg. I'm sure that that was an influence on her, <laughs> on the character. Brilliant. But thanks again, Jade. Great to hear from you. Next up is Tracy from California. Hello, Tracy from California here. So I am elated to hear that Jim is back on the show. I love him. He's my favorite character of all time. So I'm super happy to hear him back. And um. Very excited about Denise and Alistair because I think they're super cute. Even though I know she's transitioning out of another relationship, I think they're super cute and as a couple. And I also am glad to see some diversity, <laughs> potential diversity in Ambridge, so it's not so Lark Rise to Candleford. That and then also the whole parkour in the pub. Yeah, I was like, what are they going to be jumping off of inside the pub? That sounds really bad. And don't those pubs have really low ceilings? Like, I don't understand how that works. But then they were like, oh, we're going to do it in the car park. But I was like, did they set up obstacles? Because what's in their car park for people to jump off and on? That's very weird. But then they were like, and also I'm like, are they planning to have people like scuttling up the side of the pub? Because that's what people do who do parkour. That's what they do. Then they're like, oh, it's 
canceled, but none of the park where people just started jumping on stuff. It seems like they would have started that as soon as they got there. They didn't need to wait for Jazzer. But also, then Jazzer gave that weird, like, Braveheart speech. And I was like, where, what is happening? Did he hit his head when he pulled his hamstring? That was really stupid, but I still enjoyed it. And lastly, why didn't they, why weren't they planning to set up a beer cart outside? They're like, everybody's going to be outside. I'm like, don't you have a beer cart? Can't you sell beer outside? So, anyway, those are my thoughts. Have a good week. Thank you for that call, Tracy. I found the whole parkour in the pub thing totally bizarre. Now, I think the setup was that it was going to be a parkour demonstration by Jazzer. He was the only one that was going to be there. And I guess rather than the car park, it was probably in the beer garden. So there would have been some tables. Now, I suspect that they're quite wonky, having spent winter after winter outside. And I'm not sure that they would stand up to too much vigorous parkour. As you say, running around walls is probably part of what Jazza had in mind. There might be empty barrels around as well to form obstacles. So it would have been possible, I think, to come up with some sort of obstacle course. But even so, it was a bit of a bizarre thing. On the question of a beer cart, it's February. It's cold. I suspect that people would want to come out for a little bit and go back inside and warm up and order their beer at the bar. And also, Jazza's hamstring. I think a lot of people didn't notice it. Jim whispered to him just before yeah. he made his speak, don't forget to limp. Yeah. So I have a suspicion that that hamstring might not have been quite as badly hurt as <laughs> the impression was given, and that, that this was basically a, an attempt at a, a graceful avoidance of Jazza having to actually demonstrate that parkour is quite tricky and he isn't really up to it. No, he admitted that, didn't he, when uh, Jim called round. When they talked about parkour in the car park, I also saw an empty car park with perhaps a railing uh, around some uh, bins or something or a fence. But then I thought about the security lights. But I can see him half throwing himself up a pole and flipping off and pulling a security light off the wall, etc. And then the repercussions of lack of security lights. So, yeah, flights of fancy were allowed. So, Tracy, I completely agree with you. I was so delighted when I heard the... Jim's voice the first time, yeah. Jim's back. Brilliant. Great, great, great character. And I know he's one of those characters that at first a lot of people disliked because he was grumpy and horrible and, and nasty with Shula and made Alistair's life a misery. But I quite liked him for that. Thought he was being a demanding man in a wheelchair because he had his leg broken, didn't he, when he first arrived? Yes. And I've enjoyed his relationship with the Riley. I've never quite understood why he's given it to a couple who really can't afford to maintain it or use it as they would like to. But that's just one of those funny loose ends that we've never quite got to the bottom of. But yeah, Jim's back. Brilliant, brilliant move this week. Let's hear now from Michelle. Hi, Dumpty Dummers. Michelle here. Short and sweet one from me this week. I just wanted to revel in the joy that is Jim. While the parkour in the pub was a bit of a ludicrous pull-up device, the interactions between Jim, Alistair and Jazza on Wednesday were just downright lovely. Then tonight's episode, his kindness to Alice really choked me up. I don't know what it is about Jim's voice, but he has such a calming effect on me when I listen. It seems to mirror the effect he has on other characters with his wise, calm, kind manner. It did make me wonder if there are any other characters who have the same therapeutic effect when listening. I couldn't really think of any. Bizarrely, despite working in an oasis of calm and a sanctuary of serenity, I'd probably say it's Kate's voice that the one 
that has the complete opposite effect on me. And don't get me started on what tincture. Anyway, just a short one from me. I wonder if anyone else has the same feelings towards any of the characters' voices, positive or negative. Thank you for that, Michelle. Just my response to Tracy shows, yes, absolutely. Revel in the joy that is Jim. Absolutely brilliant. He was very kind to Alice. He was very clever in his responses. I felt he was very feeling in his responses to Alice and was really like a good, I want to say like a grandpa figure, someone that you can have a quiet conversation with who won't go any further but can be encouraging in a very positive way about her parenting. I was a bit surprised that he didn't seem to realise that it was Martha's birthday the next week, but, you know, these things slip your mind anyway because... Because he was very big on the story of the day she was born, so in in the old Riley that we've already mentioned, so uh, that's good. Now, positive people in the arches that give me positive vibes. Neil is one. I've always really, really enjoyed Neil as a character. I think he's a brilliant foil for Susan. And I thought this week we saw both sides of him: the caring, loving husband of Susan, and that was a, such a sweet scene when they were talking about going off and their lifestyle and blah, blah, blah. But then we had the, I'm going to stand up for something against Justin Elliott, who effectively is his boss. And so could be, it could be difficult to stand up for him about something not to do with work. I think Neil's on good ground when he discusses his work with Justin Elliott because he knows what he's doing. But standing up about the tree, it's something very, it's very interesting. But I think we're going to talk about the tree a bit later on. Yes. I was thinking that when it comes to characters who provide that sense of stability and groundedness, Neil is right at the top of the yeah. list. But I'm delighted that the other person who also is way up on that list, for weeks I've been thinking I wouldn't be able to say anything more about them, but it's Robert. And we now know that Robert yeah. is going to be back. And he similarly provides the calmness that allows Linda to be Linda. And yeah. at times she can provide that comfort and support and so forth and at other times she can just drive the entire village mad but Robert is always there so I'm really pleased that we're we know now that despite the tragic death of Graham Blockley we will have not heard the last of Robert. No and I think we're due to hear him in the middle of March hear from him on a Sunday night's episode so for the first time so I know everybody panics about a new casting of a character and it does take a week or two to get used to, or a few scenes to get used to their idea, but it's amazing how quickly we can. If you're open-minded enough, you can accept the voice has changed. And I think it's a very good move on the part of the production team to have recast him. I wouldn't, I didn't want Linda to be a widow so young. So there we go. Next question is Roy. Yes, so young. I don't think Linda's that young, but Roy was one. I was, wouldn't have been surprised if Robert hadn't been recast, but I would be a bit sad if Roy isn't because he's such a useful character. As we said back when we were marking Ian Pepperell's death in, in January, Roy turns out when you look at it to be pivotal to so many other people's storylines. Yeah, He's not the star of the story, but he's always there. Yeah, indeed. What about negative people? Who gives you negative vibes, Stephen? Kate doesn't. I, I quite like Kate. Mm, Justin too. definitely does. He's always because of his somewhat selfish approach, which I think he would argue is because he's a businessman. So he causes me problems. I think that Susan causes me problems at times because of her her gossiping and so yeah. I think that she often 
doesn't help. And no. as we might come to discuss a bit later on, Alice doesn't always help. Indeed. The one person that always seems to put my back up, and I've no idea why, I think it's to do with his interactions with his partner, and that's Ian. I just something about Ian and the way he is, the only time I ever felt a bit of friendliness towards him was when him and Susan went into a kind of huddle and were friendly. And then it was all about gossip. So that irritated me on top of that. So Ian is someone, if I had to really, if I, well, I did really think, and everybody knows I don't like Pip very much, but I give her the benefit of the doubt because maybe this relationship with Stella shall improve. And one other character who really irritates me, but I know that so many people love him a great deal, is the subject of the next call from Glyn. Oh, yes. Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Glyn here, phoning in on a Thursday night, soon after we have discovered, sadly, that the good people of Ambridge no longer have an old oak tree around which to tie their yellow ribbons. Apart from that, of course, the main event this week has been Alice ditching Harry, and the fallout from that will no doubt continue for a while, particularly around whatever happens to Harrison. But the other thing we learned this week was that Chazza is an amazing local influencer. First, he completely empties the ball for a night. And then at virtually no notice, he completely fills the ball for a night. Whoever knew that Chazza was such an amazing presence on social media? And I really wonder why he isn't just raking in the shekels off TikTok. And his and Trace's money problems would be, would surely be solved overnight. That's just one of the mysteries of the arches, isn't it? Well, that's all from me this week. So I wish you all a great week in Dumpty Dum land. Stay safe and speak to you all soon again. Bye. Thank you very much for that call, Glyn. I'm going to leave commenting on the oak tree until later because I think we've got another call that also goes into that. But yes, Jazza, I find him deeply irritating. I think this is probably because I still have very clear memories of him as he first arrived at the village. And just as you were saying that Jim arrived in the village as a cantankerous old man in a wheelchair because he'd broken his leg, Jazza arrived on the scene as a priapic milkman who was just deeply unpleasant and was a bad influence on Ed. And given that this was in the time when the Grundys had been evicted and were living in Meadow Rise, the last thing they needed was a bad influence. And Jazza, who is so loved enough to do parkour at the pub, was banned from the bowl by Sid because he had been taking drugs. And during the, the time he was supposed to be in Dross, he had just completely wrecked his life and was dealing and I think remained a really bad influence on Ed, who, to be fair, has picked up quite a few bad influences over the years, including the dreadful Tim Oti. But no, I remain unsold on Jazz's virtues. I knew you would. I just knew that was coming somehow. Firstly, I want to say that Glyn makes his view clear about Jazz as an influencer, but he used everybody else. It was Chelsea, etc. He's not an influencer. He's a user. But I don't agree with you about Jazza at all, in any way whatsoever. I'm sorry, we're going to, another subject we have to agree to differ on. Because people make mistakes. You do things when you're young. And you're very much influenced by your first point, first view of Jazza, the first stories he was involved with. Yes, it wasn't good and it wasn't 
right at the time and it was extremely upsetting at the time to see this bad influence on the Grundy household because it affected the whole Grundy household. But we've moved on. Many years have passed and uh, we forgive Jim for his cantankerousness. We forgive Linda for her attitude to, oh, it wasn't like this in Sunningdale. So we have to perhaps give Jazz the benefit of the doubt that he's moved on. Only time this week it actually irritated me that he was a bit, what was the expression Alistair used? Judgy. He was a bit judgy. Was when he said about marriage being sacred, or whatever the expression was he used, I can't remember. Yeah, I thought, yes, this was a milk bun. That, what was the word you used, Stephen? Because I will have to look it up. Priapic? Priapic. Priapic. So coming from Phallus. No, I'm not as hard on Jazza. There were some great conversations between Jazza with Alistair and then with Jim this week and also with Tracy and the whole question of her safety and all the rest of it. But the influencer thing was definitely not him. I didn't understand how he could empty the pub, but I did understand how he got them back. I think we've got another view on Jazza coming up in the email from Chris. Jolly good. So I think those are our first few calls. And there are a few more to come. We're having a bumper week this week and we'll hear them very soon. And if you'd like to join in by calling us yourself or dropping us a, a line by message or email, Stephen is here to tell you how and all the details are also in the show notes. The first option is to record a message or a plot prediction by going to www.speakpipe.com slash dumptydum. And don't forget the T in the middle. The next option is to send us a voice note or message via WhatsApp on 07810 And it's plus four four and remove the first zero if you're calling from outside the UK. Please keep your call to a maximum of two minutes. And finally, we have an email address you can contact us on if you would rather write to us with your views. A maximum of 250 words, please. And the email address is dumptydum@mail.com. Do bear in mind you need to be at least 18 to contribute. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So let's get back to our calls. And next up is Jen from Brooklyn. Oh, dumpty dum. This is Jen from Brooklyn. And British people, please tell me if this idea that Harrison can lose his job for telling his friend information he found out on the job that's private. This seems crazy to me. In New York, at least, the police are, well, I shouldn't say they're all always doing the bad thing, but you hear about all kinds of crazy things that they do that are totally wrong and that they don't get fired. Sometimes they lose vacation time. That's about it. Like, People, um, you know, the police will kill people in their own homes and they still can keep their jobs. It has to be really, really bad to lose your job. And I don't know if that's because we have a, a good union for the police. So in this case, I think Harrison would do well to talk to his union representative and ask what his options are. And yeah, get a lawyer if he thinks he needs to turn himself in for his indiscretion sounds like he's doing the right thing in that regard. Yeah, there seems like there's so much he can do to save his career if he wants to remain a police officer. Of course, he's already talked about wanting to work part-time or work in a different kind of law enforcement capacity, which is probably a good idea for him if he's always having these issues of conflict of interest. Anyway, I, I found that part hard to believe, but maybe I have it all wrong. Thanks, guys. Thanks for that, Jen. Yeah, I'm a bit out of the loop as far as British policing is concerned. I'm sure we've got lots of experts in in our dumpty-dum people, so somebody will be able to answer that, if not Stephen. But it does seem slightly odd, I have to say, And I've, but I've enjoyed the interaction between Harrison and Norris, his mom, especially at the beginning of the week when we heard him going to confess to her on the night of the quiz that she was actually there doing something private on her computer and made him wait and then became all stern. I found that a, quite a, an interesting contrast between her ethos at work and then her attitude towards him. So apart from that, but I, I really don't know where it's going, this Harrison story. Yeah, we know that he wanted to do the, he applied for the nature officer role or something like Wildlife that. Wildlife officer. Get it. Wildlife officer, that's right. And he didn't get it. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it's going. So I have been looking at, into this. Harrison is now under investigation and he will be in terms of either misconduct or gross misconduct. And gross misconduct is misconduct serious enough to uh, result in potentially the loss of your job. I think that it's on the edge of that, in fact. If you look at the things that you're not supposed to do, using police computers to find stuff out for non-work purposes is one of the things that is explicitly listed. Now, Harrison was probably justified in looking Harry up on the police national computer. Having had an arrest for drunken disorderly, he needs to know what he's dealing with. So far, so good. He then shares that information. And when it comes to abuse of information that you're looking at, you're looking up, sharing information with others is something that can make it a serious offence. It's not as bad as if he was doing it to pervert a police investigation or for personal profit or stuff like that, but it is possibly enough 
to take it into serious territory. As the inspector noted, this is not the first time he's done this. He previously did this in relation to Philip. Looking at the sanctions available to conduct and discipline, I don't think he will lose his job. I don't think it's that serious. I do think, though, that it is potentially where the loss of rank comes in and he could be busted back down to constable as a result of this because it's a second and unrelated offence. And that's one of the things that do that. Yeah, the, and, that, and with the subsequent pay cut, etc., with that as well. Yes, and it's also, I think, can be quite difficult to be a, a police officer in a force where you have been stripped of rank and you're now down working alongside people that you were previously ordering around. So if there's been any problems, and I don't think there would be with Harrison, but if there had been any problems with constables, he has now lost the position of authority over them and that could be tricky. Jen did ask about police unions. The Federation will be there. It'll be by his side. He will have a Federation representative in any formal interview during the conduct and discipline process. And if you want to understand how this works, it's a bit overdramatic and tends to be far more serious than what we're talking about here. But line of duty really is (laughs) very good at this. Yeah, excellent. An excellent uh, thing. Next up, we have a call from Paul in Olney. Hello, folks. This is Paul in Olney. Sure, there's going to be lots of interesting calls about the Hallis, Hallis, the Alice and Harry situation. So uh, I think I'll just say, oh, he's a bad lot and leave it at that. I'm much more interested in what's going on with Alistair, Denise, Jim, Jazza, and all of that. It's all for Argo. I particularly like this week on two occasions, Alistair's bemused. Does everybody know about this comment? when he thinks he's being quite discreet. I think it's, it's really fairly obvious what's going on here. And I think we all know where it's likely to end up and we're all hoping that that's where it ends up. But this week, I, I, Jim, as usual, there's been, I think a few people have commented recently, there's big change in Jim since he joined Village. Lovely man these days, understanding. But Jazza surprised me. I'm sorry. The figure of... The stereotype milkman going around enjoying himself with lonely housewives is suddenly saying to Alistair that he shouldn't be interfering in somebody else's marriage? I really don't get that. Anyway, we'll see how it all sorts out in the long run, I'm sure. Bye for now. Thank you for that call, Paul. And yes, I think there's a lot to be said for Alistair and Denise getting together eventually. As others have mentioned, and I think we've got another call mentioning it later on, getting from where we are now to there is a a tricky course to navigate. Like you, I'm surprised to find Jazza as the person advising on how to navigate that particular course. I think that Alastair is a fundamentally decent man. I think that he is really conflicted because he knows that Denise's marriage is in trouble but I don't think that he particularly wants to be a factor in making that situation worse. So I think he's probably hoping, and I think he might be rewarded in this, that a period of distance between John and Denise, what well, John is in St. Lucia, will result in them realising that there isn't a marriage and John may well not come back from St. Lucia except to organise the separating and, and unpicking of all the things that a long marriage inevitably has. So I think that it will work through, and I think that most of us want it to work through 
And I think that they might find a way for it to, to work through without too much further damage. Yeah, not too much angst, because of the angst. I can only imagine that if you get together with somebody and one of them's married, that angst caused may eventually affect your relationship. So uh, that's interesting. Yeah, very handy that Granny fell and Paul's, uh, not Paul, yeah, but Paul's gone, hasn't he? But Auntie's dad have had to rush off to San Lucia. And I know we talked a lot about how that was possible in the work world last week. But yeah, so very handy for Alistair, I'm hoping. I think along with everybody else, I'm hoping that they do get together. Because, but I hope she cheers up a bit. Yes. <laughs> now let's have a call from Marie. Hello, Jacqueline, Stephen and all Dumpty Dummers. It's Marie from Winchester. Just want to give my thoughts on Alice and Harry, the whole situation. I think for her, yes, it was the best thing to actually split up with him. He's going to cause an awful lot of problems in her life. And she's so lacking confidence and self-esteem that I don't think he is the right one for her. However, she said to Jim in the shop that there was nothing she could do to help him. But actually, from a different angle, once he's actually admitted that he does have a problem, she could actually encourage him to go to AA and she could actually sponsor him. And that would actually increase her confidence and her level of self-esteem. So anyway, it's it's an interesting storyline. Still really enjoying The Archers and Dum De Dum. Thank you for everything that you do. And uh, looking forward to meeting some of you very, very soon. And uh, take care. Have a good week. Bye for now. Thank you for that call, Marie. And yes, we're looking forward to seeing you in London at the end of April. Now, I agree with you completely that Alice made a great decision about splitting up with Harry. But I still have a doubt that he's not going to be, he's going to be one of those people that might have a bit of, especially if he's drinking, go in for a bit of revenge for a bit, not just on Harry, somebody might become a bit of a pest for Alice, which will be a difficulty, which also brings me on to your second point. Although Alice could encourage him to go to uh, AA, I think it would be terribly difficult for her to be his sponsor because they already have a sexual relationship. And she wants to stop that relationship for her own and for Martha's well-being. So I I don't see that happening. But I have a fear that he's going to become a bit of a pest in the village, as I say, especially driving, drinking, turning up at her place. And as we always say, we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, that kind of worries me that he's going to be someone that we haven't heard the last of. Yes, I agree. He still has the link to the stables through the niece whose pony he has bought and who is there. Mm. So he can claim to have a legitimate reason for going there and possibly harassing Alice the way that he was harassing people when he first arrived. So Mm. I don't think that's very good. And I agree. I think that, yes, it might well be really good for Alice's development and self-confidence and so forth to become a sponsor of somebody who is dealing with alcoholism. I really, really don't think Harry is the right person for her to adopt that role. For all those reasons, they've had a relationship. I think there has been a massive, massive betrayal of trust there. I don't think that Alice can ever trust Harry, and I don't see why she should be expected to do so. I don't think she owes Harry anything at all. I think that, that she's best off a long way away from him. So yes to the idea of sponsorship, no to the idea of being Harry would be where I would come from. No, indeed. I think we're, I think we both agree with that, that line. Well, one more call, eh, Stephen? Last call. 
but it's a special one because it's another first-time caller in Ra. Hello, or Dumpty Dummers, first-time caller here, Jenna. Hope you're doing well. Sorry, uh, she just said hello, Stephen. She says so she just said that at the start. Uh, a little bit nervous. Short say, really impressed with Jasmine this week. Really thought his attitudes on Alastair and Denise were right on the money. Any relationship that starts with a betrayal is probably not going to last and it's always going to set some seeds of doubt in the other person's mind. So yeah, thought Jazza did really well there. And further to that, very upset actually about the story with the oak tree in the helicopter ride with Meal and Susan. Really not nice to see a company just coming in and abusing the land, abusing the countryside. I thought Justin was very dismissive. Just this kind of idea that big corporations can just brush this aside and get away with it. Really, too much of that happens where I live here in East Anglia. And I think it, it's really disappointing. So those are the two things. So it's my youngest, you, you might be able to hear in the background there. So if you could hear. Anyway, that's all from me. Yeah, so I first time calling in and thanks for all you do. And yeah, be interested to know what you think. Thank you. Thank you very much for that call, Jenna. Thank you for calling in. And do keep on calling. We always like to have as wide a range of views as we can. I think we've probably covered the Jazza angle quite a bit. I know exactly where you're coming from around betrayal. And I'm hoping that it won't need that, that they will end up in the right place with things taking a natural course. I'm just not really convinced that Jazza is the right person to have said the things that he said, given his own background. But I really wanted to focus more on the oak tree, because I, I agree with you on that. Justin did make it clear that the particular tree did not have a tree preservation order on it. I don't think that that's a sufficient justification for doing what they're doing. The whole point about EV charging stations is that they are supposed to be a positive environmental benefit. Going around cutting down large trees to provide access is a very unenvironmentally positive way of going about things. And I do think that it puts a bit of a shadow, a metaphorical shadow, to replace the real shadow that the tree would have cast over that whole EV development. The only thing I would say from a sort of Archer's listener perspective, though, is it's about time we heard about the EV charging station. It has been in the background, but nobody seems to have mentioned it for months. So maybe that means it's coming back into the storyline and we might move on to the question of will there be a cafe? And if so, who will run it? Yeah, it's great to have EV back because definitely EV charging station sounds like another person, doesn't it? Another character. Yeah, a lot of speculation. Oh, by the way, thank you, Jenna, for your call. Sorry, I forgot to say thank you at the beginning. Yeah, the oak tree story is very upsetting. I think it shows Justin in the way in which we see him as a dick dastardly moustache swirling monster. But the one thing about the EV charging station now, I had a conversation with somebody the other day who happens to be the owner of our local large supermarket. And both Tesla and other charging people have been building a charging station on his land at the back of the supermarket. So people can come plug in their cars, go to the supermarket shopping, everything, all very commercially um, positive, I'm sure. But he can't get it linked to the grid. Tesla and other people, other providers, are trying to get EDF to link it all. 
but it's going to be at least another six months before the works are done. It's quite interesting that this is, people have said this has gone on a long time and I know they've been very silent about it. So it's great that Evie's come back into, as a character into the Archers, but I still don't think we're going to have it up and running and how, how these things come about. Obviously it's planning and stuff, but it's definitely the Oak Tree story is definitely a way of showing Justin off as he should be shown. Yes, and those grid upgrade problems are a real problem in the UK as well. So it wouldn't be surprising that it will take a while for the thing to be up and running because, yes, they do need to run the wires in to power all the charging points, Mm. and that probably means a new substation somewhere. Just to get back slightly to Jenna's call, the oak tree, I don't know about tree preservation orders and things. Could the people of Ambridge, the parish council, have put a preservation order on the tree because they know their patch of land? They know the trees around there. Could they have done that? They definitely could have done. I bought a house a few years ago and it had tree preservation orders on several of the trees in the garden. One of them, which was a completely feeble holly tree, and we sold the house and the new owners chopped that particular tree down very much. The other two, a big yew and a, a big box tree, very notable and visible from the street. And I can understand why people might feel that they were local amenities. But the thing in the country is, I suspect that there are so many trees there that you don't necessarily go around and get TPOs put on every single one the way you might in a town like Cheltenham. The result is that they are vulnerable to this sort of thing. I think it shouldn't have been the determining factor. I think the planning application should have made clear that the tree was going, which would have given people a chance to say, no, hang on a moment, let's preserve that. Clearly, in this case, they didn't. And Nobody checked the plans, and so Justin was able to get away with it. Yes, that dastardly man there. I think those are all the calls, so thank you very much for all of you calling in. We love them all, especially those two, those new calls, but we don't dismiss those who call in regularly. We love hearing from you all, so don't forget to call in next week. Now, I think we might have received a few emails this week. Yes, we've had two. The first is from Brian, and it came in right at the beginning of the week with the title... Trouble at bull. And it it, goes should, it like, should be me saying that. Trouble at bull, lad. Anyway, it goes like this. <laughs> Hi, all. I'm writing in before any of this week's episode, so I may be proved wrong by Friday. And my record on plot predictions is pretty poor, but here goes anyway. Is the current gangland trouble at the bull a way to bring about big changes there? Is this so Fallon and Harrison can take over at the bull? I'll show my workings. Kenton is 65, so I imagine Jolene is a similar age. A major crisis, whatever that may turn out to be, may mean that they don't want to carry on. Harrison is skating on very thin ice with his job after last week. Fallon is working for Bridge Farm, so I can't imagine her sticking with it very long. Nothing seems to be happening in regards to the EV charging station. They may have to run the bull in an emergency and then decide that it would be a business with potential that they could run together. How the finances would work, I don't know, especially as Lillian still owns half of the bull but I'm sure there will be a way if that's what's wanted. What do you think? All the best, Brian. Thank you for that, Brian. Yes, it certainly did get me thinking. Now, Kenton is 65, and so is Jolene a similar age, Stephen? You know these things. I don't know. Jolene is one of these women of a certain age, and you just can't tell what that certain age is. Well, I'm imagining that if she is 65, which is exactly the same age as I am, her state pension won't be kicking in if 
she's paid into it because she may not have kept up her, her payments because she worked in a very peripheral industry, the music industry. And then presumably they pay themselves a salary and then have paid national insurance whilst they've been working at the Bull. Kenton will have a state pension and may even have a private pension if he was that way inclined. But I don't suspect he will be. So they will be on, basically, if they retire in the next two or three years, they will be on a state pension. So is it interesting about they would have to take their money out of the bull unless they stayed living in the bull? So a very interesting proposition as to financially how it would work. Now, Harrison... Uh, yeah, we heard a bit more about that story going on in the weeks, and we've talked a lot about it. Running the bull for Harrison, we've always said, yeah, that might be a thing. But Fallon, I don't know. I don't see her in the bull. I don't see her as taking over from her mum. I much prefer the idea of the the cafe at the at Evie charging station and making a, a different lifeline for herself, a different uh, product completely from what she's done previously. So, but uh, very interesting propositions, Brian. Yes, I do see Fallon eventually as a prime candidate to take over the bull, but not yet. I think I've said that before. Yeah. As for Harrison, being the landlord of a pub is one of those positions where you get in hold of confidential information and so forth, but without all the pressures of the police rules and so forth. So it might suit Harrison. He can keep confidences most of the time and dispense it when he needs to, and he's had a lot more freedom to dispense confidences when necessary, when doing so from behind the bar rather than while wearing a police uniform. So it's always possible that it would suit him down to the ground. I'm not sure. don't know whether he would be a natural in a pub, but he might uh, be. He might be natural for a runner of vigilante group <laughs> to protect the pub. Oh, yeah, interesting thoughts though, Brian. Thank you. So we also had an email from Chris with the title, A Great Week in Ambridge, and it goes like this. Jacqueline, Stephen, and all Dumpty Dummers, greetings. This has been the best week in Ambridge this year. Alice getting rid of Harry, Harrison almost getting rid of his career, and the return of the EV charging station plot, as well as Jim, was all wonderful. Jazza was as silly as he always is. I can see being worried about your wife going to work in an unsafe place, but I don't understand why you would noise it about to the general public that the place where she makes her livelihood is dangerous. I'm sorry, but I have no love for Jazza. He's a friend of yours then, Stephen. I also don't understand why, when Alistair confided in him, he decided to become distant and disapproving. You don't do that with friends, not in reality and not when you're over 40. By then, you understand just how important a confidant is and how few they actually are. You are a listening ear. If they are involved in something truly horrible, you are a helpful and cautious ear. As a close friend once said to me, the good thing about you is you don't judge, or if you do, you keep it to yourself. But my judgment about the archers, I clearly do not keep to myself, and I never will. From Indiana, Chris. Thank you, Chris, for that email, and I'm delighted that you're not keeping your judgment about the archers to yourself. Please do keep being judgmental by email or even calling in one day and telling us your thoughts on the archers. I think we've probably covered quite a lot of what you're mentioning in there. As Jacqueline notes, you're on my side when it comes to Jazza. I think you're right about this business about not being distant and disapproving. 
I take Jenna's point about not wanting to have a relationship that starts with a betrayal, but I think there's a way through that. And as we've said once or twice before, Jazza seems an odd person to be the, the voice of morality in Ambridge. Indeed, indeed. Thank you for that, Chris, and keep those views coming. Very enjoyable. Now, before we move on to talk about our Facebook page, let's talk about the Academic Archers and the conference plan for the weekend of the 27th and 28th of April at the Quakers Meeting House, Euston Road, London. The box office is now open and the links to that can be found in the show notes. The tickets are selling fast, so follow the link in the show notes to book your place now. And in fact, I think in the next few days, our Sui, who does the roundup, is going to put onto Facebook and other social medias, maybe, a questionnaire which you can respond to so we can get an idea of numbers of people and ideas of where we're going to meet up, either on the Friday, on the Saturday, or both. So to have a little dum-ti-dum get-together. So let's move on to our Facebook now, where we have lots of very busy, friendly, thoughtful, and thought-provoking members. And we need to give a very warm welcome to the newest of them, who are Mim Robson, Helen Irvine and Elizabeth Hayter. Before we hear what's been going on in our Facebook group this week, we're still looking for an additional volunteer to cover the first week of each month. That's actually this week for March, but luckily our Vicky has stepped into the breach. Can I just say, happy birthday to one of our social media roundup people, Ben, who is in Shanghai, and today, Saturday the 2nd of March, is his birthday. Happy birthday, Ben. I tried to practice how to say it in Chinese. I've listened to, I can't say it, it's simple. I'm not even <laughs> going to try, but happy birthday, Ben. I hope that you have a, a great time in Shanghai. And I think we'll hear from you doing the social media roundup next week. Hello, everyone. Vicky Cole here, calling in after Friday's episode. There was lots of activity on the Facebook page this week. Mike Jennings shared a sweet photo of Carol Boyd and Michael Burtonshaw, the new actor cast to play Robert Snell. And there were several comments about characters who have previously been recast. Fiona Armstrong Hall hopes he will sound exactly the same as the old Robert. And Rosie Johnson demands that Robert shouldn't have a personality transplant or she will get very, very cross. There were several posts and discussions about Alice and Harry, overwhelmingly supportive of how Alice handled the situation with Harry. Richard Openshaw was literally cheering her on. Raffi J was so impressed with her resolve and Vicky Hughes says, brilliant Alice, so proud of you. Now get back to Chris. Other contributors have also wondered about a reunion with Chris. Although Sandra D Jenkinson reminds us that Chris didn't handle her alcoholism well. Kate Lyle hopes that Alice can be an independent woman making a life for herself and her daughter and be happy and confident on her own. Later in the week, though, some listeners, for example Chris Gibson and Lillian McCarthy, were concerned that Alice's wobble about her ability to spot that Harry was a wrongen might lead her back to drink. Was that why she had a couple of visits to the shop? And after Friday's episode, after Alice speaks to Mom. Ruth Pearl said, OMG, why would Alice do that to make everything so much worse? And Julia Delwich and Sarah Passingham fear that the guilt might drive her back to drinking. Moving on to the fallout from the conversation between Harrison and Alice, Chris Gibson thought it sounded ridiculous that a policeman would be investigated for just two incidents in the last decade, although Jonah Titchmarsh thinks it's virtually impossible he would lose his job. 
There were some helpful clarifications about UK-US differences from our Witherspoon and our Stephen. The remaining much nicer Rob, that's Rob Williams, thinks he's got a way to get the current Ambridge situation sorted. A police officer breaking the rules, a rich boy using his influence to corrupt the system, organised crime flexing its muscles, bring in Ted, Steve and Kate for line of duty Ambridge. Our Stephen wondered if H might be Hazel Woolley. The silly parkour in the pub story got short shrift from us, I'm afraid. For instance, T. Brown Artivist CA is wondering what's in the car park for people to climb on. Caroline Pierce imagined herself in the scenario that evening. Very funny. Although she did refer to Jim as an old geezer. Caroline, how could you? Michelle Wright thought perhaps the idea of parkour had been randomly generated. And Benjamin Kevin suggested the scriptwriters are being replaced with AI. Maybe they're onto something there. And that could apply to some other storylines too. There was lots more. So do go and have a look and join in if you can. The more the merrier. I'm going to sign off with this comment from Kim Boyer. My family doesn't understand my addiction to the archers, but that is because they don't listen to the archers. And I'm with you there, Kim. Bye-bye till next time. Thank you for that, Vicky. And thank you so much to everybody on the Dumpty Dum Facebook page. If you would like to join them, please do. But don't forget to answer the very easy membership questions so that we know that you're a real person. And yes, you lovely people, you heard our call for reviews. Thank goodness, because it really, really does help us. It does. And we had two reviews this week. And the first is from somebody who signs himself as Martha, but also as another name. But anyway, the he headline is Fantastic Podcast, five stars. And it goes like this. I sent a review some months ago. If a six-star review was an option, Dumpty Dum would be awarded it. I've recently joined the Facebook group and look forward to reading and contributing regularly. Keep up the good work and thanks for making me laugh and think. Eleanor. And that's signed off by Martha at Vineyard for Apple Podcasts. And she's in the UK and not in Martha's Vineyard, which is, I think, where that name might have come from. <laughs> and the second one is from Stephen, who is in Glasgow. A weekly treat for us Archers listeners. Five stars. This is a wonderful weekly podcast aimed at the discerning Archers listener. The hosts do a fantastic job. And I, for one, always look forward to my weekly helping of Dumpty Dum. Keep up the good work. Big thumbs up, Stephen from Glasgow. And that's by Apple Podcasts, which is always a good place to start. And he is from Glasgow, but he also marks Great Britain. Now on to Twitter, where you will find us at Dumpty Dum. Make sure you include the Archers hashtag using a capital T and A so the visually impaired who use screen readers can enjoy any Archers-based tweets. As well as at Dumpty Dum, I can be found at Jberto Sanguan. And I can be found at Wenlock House. But we're both spending some time discussing the Archers on Blue Sky. I am at wenlock.bsky.social. And I am at jberto.bsky.social. So, shall we find out who's won the Twitter medals this week? Tweet, tweet, tiger. <laughs> Hello, Stephen, Jacqueline and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with Tweets and Skeets of the Week. And my thanks as ever to Bernadette, Jen and everyone who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best ones. This week on Blue Sky, there was a lot of discussion of precisely how Alice ended up so entitled and inconsiderate. Was it because she was the youngest child? Or is it all part of a focus on self 
that sobriety demands. Meanwhile, on Twitter, there was more than the usual amount of complaining about changing character traits, what with Jim becoming such a dear old thing instead of the spiky atheist who baited Shuler. And there were quite a number of good visuals about just how far Jazza would have got with parkour with only a day's training. I also enjoyed a thread started by Les Archers, at Leslie Too, on why Susan could have felt like a billionaire instead of just a billionaire's wife. But now it's time for the medals for Blue Sky Skeets and X-Posts, all of which we continue to consider as Tweets of the Week. In bronze position, it's favourite of mine, Angela Dobb at LMS Bossy. Ah, Lakey Hill, we've had many a picnic lunch up there. Picnic lunch? Is that an old person euphemism for a bit of how's your father or a bit of slap and tickle? I think it is, Angela, I think it is. The silver medalist is newcomer Shadwell at Shadwell underscore NTT. Has Harrison considered becoming a tree surgeon? There seems to be a lot of work going for them. And the gold medal goes to Leonard Odetian at Odetian. Craving for wine gums? Is Jim pregnant? I think we should be told. And on that surprising note, that's it for this week. I hope to see you all on Hashtag The Archers on Twitter or Blue Sky next week. Thanks for that, Theo. Very good selection there. And congratulations to everybody who has mentioned there. Now, don't forget we're on Instagram at Dumpty Dum, where Theo also looks after things, but we're looking for another Dumpty Dumber who can help her out and would like maybe even to take it over, get her a bit more activity on there because Theo can't do everything. Next week, we'll once again be recording at the normal time of first thing Saturday morning. So please get your calls in by midnight on Friday UK time. And as we come to the end of this episode, We need to say thank you to all our wonderful contributors and to the whole team who look after our social media and support us in so many invaluable ways. Thanks to you lot too. This lovely Dumpty Dum community is why we carry on doing this every week. And we must say thank you to Kim Durham and Sunny Ormond for their voices and our podcasting parents, Lucy V. Freeman and Royfield Brown. Thank you so much for listening and joining us today. We're now off to point at Barrow from a helicopter and wonder if Jazza can see us. So it's goodbye from me. And it's au revoir from me. Dumpty <laughs> 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 <laughs>